This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawl, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 143 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we continue our look at the Mabinogion, the tales of Welsh mythology. This is a story about the Emperor of Rome. It is the dream of Emperor Maxon. But first, a very big welcome to any new listeners. If this is your first episode, why don't you listen to this? And if you like it, head back to at least our beginning of Welsh mythology around episode 100. And 20 or 130, actually, with the story of Pulch, Prince of David. And if you like that, why don't you head right back to the very beginning, episode one, nearly three years ago, and see so we've been building up on the journey of Fireside thus far. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so, so much for your continued support. If you have not done so already, please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. It's the best place to get in touch with me. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. And if you really want to support the podcast, you can do so over at headstuffpodcast.com, where you can join Headstuff Plus, where for as little as €5 euro a month, you can gain access to not just bonus material for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there are new ones of those each and every month as we continue to grow as a network and as a podcast company. No hard sell on that, but there is a brand new episode from this month, which is still my interview with Mark Williams for Ireland's Immortals. And there will be a new bonus members-only exclusive episode coming each and every month. So plenty of headstuff incentive over on Headstuff Plus. I am coming to you once again from my retreat in the hills of Wales. I am at the foothills of the Preseli Mountains, overlooking an incredible moor as I stay in this little moor shed on my little fireside retreat to really ingrain myself and indoctrinate myself in to the land of Wales as I continue and perhaps finish my adaptations of the Mabinogion and it is absolutely incredible to be recording from here and to writing here getting really really ahead of myself and just consolidating everything that we've been building up to on Fireside with our journey through the Mabinogion it just feels right and it feels like I can bring some more of a sense of authenticity which I am obviously limited in as an Irish man who had not even really spent any significant time in Wales. So it feels nice to be rectifying that and to be in the kingdom of David, to be in the land of Pulch. Um, I did a great walk into town yesterday. The nearest town was four and a half miles away. So I certainly felt like one of these figures walking on their long journeys, uh, on their night's tales, 
And today I'm going to take a walk up into the mountains today if the weather holds off. But first, I am here to record this week's episode, which will now be next week's episode. I'm hoping to get as many of these written and recorded as I can, but perhaps I won't record them so because I like Farside to be quite up to date. I don't like to record too much ahead of time, so it feels like it is timely at the time of recording, even though I know a lot of people listen back and catch up long after the fact, so maybe I shouldn't worry so much about that. But the story for this week is very interesting because as much as it's felt like a departure to be leaving Ireland's shores to be talking about Wales and Britain at large, here we have another extension still in that we have a story about the Emperor of Rome. Now, I'm a massive fan of ancient Roman history. I like my Greek mythology and I like my Roman history. So it is very, very intriguing to see a Welsh lens of the Roman Empire, considering these stories would have come from the time and just after the time when Rome was a very dominant presence in Britain, which had never quite extended to Ireland, to the land of Hibernia. So now we have an Irish lens of a Welsh lens of the Roman Empire. We will chat a bit more afterwards, of course, but this is the dream of Emperor Maxon on Fireside. The dream of Emperor Maxon. Maxon, Emperor of Rome, was hunting with a retinue of 30 kings. Each of these 30 kings controlled their own kingdoms, but each of these 30 kings paid homage to Emperor Maxon. But the sun was high in the sky on this day, and the heat of the hunt and the weight of the armor began to weigh on Maxon. So the Emperor of Rome dismounted his horse and found a shaded area beneath a tree and fell fast asleep. In his dream, Maxon saw a river before him. He followed the river to its source, atop the highest mountain the Emperor had ever seen. From the mountain's top, he could see many rivers flowing from their mountain estuaries to the bounty of the ocean. Maxon followed the widest river to the coast where he came to a great city. The city was host to a blinding fleet of ships. Maxon found himself walking the gangway of the harbour on board the largest of the fleet, and soon the Emperor of Rome was far, far from home. He was soon in a land unlike anything he had witnessed or conquered. The coastlines were rugged and craggy, the mountains high and lofty. The Emperor's dream journey continued to a city built into a mountain. The gates were wide open, and inside were two brothers playing chess. Each was decorated in brocaded silk and red gold with shoes of the finest Cordovan leather. Finally, Maxon came to a throne room where an old, grey-haired man sat playing chess with a beautiful young woman. Of all the beauty Maxon had witnessed in this fantastical vision, this maiden was the most incredible. The lady arose from her seat and embraced Maxon. The emperor swore he could smell the maiden's perfume. But before he could dream her voice, with the howls of the hounds, and the clank of the armor, and the thud of the horse's hooves, the emperor of Rome awoke. <laughs> 
Maxon was inconsolable, for he had met the love of his life, and he did not even know if she was real. She had to be real. He had never had a dream he could remember in such incredible specific detail. For the next week, the Emperor slept every moment he could, for whenever he did, he dreamed of the maiden in the mountain castle. Whenever he was awake, Maxon was dreadful company to be around. When others ate, he starved. When friends sang, he stayed silent. Even when his counsel was sought, the Emperor gave distracted, half-hearted answers. One of Maxon's hunting party, who although he swore fealty to the Emperor of Rome, was a king of the Romans himself, came to see the Emperor. Lord, he said, I have come to warn you of your declining reputation. The bards are satirizing you, and your counsellors criticize you. You must tell us what is the matter, before it is too late. Maxon took the advice of the Roman king and invited all of his advisers to the forum. My lords, said the Emperor of Rome, I beg your pardon if I have seemed distracted, but I have met the woman I love more than any other, and I have no way of reaching her, for she lives only in my dreams. Rather than laugh or mock the king's plight, Maxon's lords were sympathetic. The Roman king advised, Emperor, send messengers for three years to three regions of the world. Describe to them in the most exact detail the dream you had and the woman you saw. Scour the world, and if she exists, you will find her. Until that day, your hope will sustain you. So messengers were sent to one corner of the world, and returned a year later no closer to finding the Emperor's love than when they had first set out. Another group was sent to another region of the world, and did not return for an entire year, but still they returned fruitless. The Roman king told Emperor Maxon to send out a third party, but to tell them how his dream began and let them follow its path exactly. The emperor himself led a group of thirteen messengers out from Rome to the place where Maxon had slept. From there they followed the river until they saw the mountain Maxon had seen in his dream. They followed the mountain to the widest river, to the city on the coast, to the fleet in the harbour, aboard the largest vessel. Maxon could not leave the country himself as he was needed to rule in Rome, but he described every last detail to his messengers, and they set sail. The messengers soon came to the rugged craggy island with its high and lofty mountains. They asked the locals what land it was. They said it was the island of Britain. The messengers were sure to dress as peacefully as they could, so not to make it seem like they were on a scouting mission ahead of an invasion. They followed the details of Maxon's dream until they came at last to the castle built into the mountain. They were welcomed by Kidan and Godian, two brothers playing chess. They took the messengers to the throne room to their father, the king, and their sister, Elan. 
Greetings, Empress of Rome, the messenger said to Elan. I beg your pardon, said the surprised maiden. Whom do you think you speak to? Strange as it seems, your majesty, but we come on the behalf of Maxon, the Emperor of Rome. He has seen you in his dreams, and his dreams have led us to you. You have two choices. You can come with us to Rome, or the Emperor will come to you. Ellen did not think long before replying. I find your tale hard to believe, and yet I feel it is true. But because I am being asked to go on the word of a dream, let your Emperor come to me and seek my hand face to face. The messengers rode hard and fast as they could to return to Rome. When their horses failed them, they got new ones, and did not rest until they had told Maxon the news. The Emperor knew he could not simply sail to Britain. He assembled an army and sailed to find his love and conquer anyone or anything that stood in his way. Emperor Maxon landed in Britain and went straight to London, where the King Belly was forced to surrender to him, making Maxon king of all Britain. From there, the Emperor made his way to Abersan, where finally Maxon met the woman of his dreams. Lady, he said to her, you cannot imagine the joy it brings me to see you in the flesh. Finally, I feel I am no longer going mad. Finally, I have a chance at happiness once more. You are the woman of my dreams. Please permit me to be the man of your reality. Lord, you have conquered my country all on the word of a dream. Now, I will rule this country by your side. Maxon and Elan were married and consolidated their rule of the island of Britain. Maxon stayed at Abersan by Elan's side for seven years. But by the laws of Rome, any emperor who was in a conquered land and away from Rome for longer than seven years would be forced to stay in exile and a new emperor put in his place. Maxon received a letter telling him that there was a new emperor in Rome and to never return. It said if he ever did, he would not survive. Maxon replied with one word, if. Emperor Maxon sailed his army back across the channel and conquered Brittany and France and all of the cities and lands leading to the city of Rome. He then attempted to seize the city itself, but Rome was the most well-fortified city in the world and a year spent outside its gates had Maxon not one step closer to seizing it. Elan had stayed in Britain to maintain rule. She summoned her brothers Godian and Kidan. Brothers, my husband is outside the city of Rome, and he will never take it. That is because he fights like a Roman. I ask you to go over and fight like Celts. Kidan and Godian assembled a small guerrilla army and made their way to Rome. There they reconvened with Maxon, who was glad to see them. Every day the Emperor's men would fight, and every night they would rest and eat and tend to the wounded and the dead. 
So the next morning, while the Romans fought, Kidan and Godian went to the carpenters and asked them to build wooden ladders, one for every four men. Then the Welsh spent the afternoon eating and became drunk. Then, in the evening when the Romans rested and ate, the Welsh led by Kidan and Godian stormed the city walls with their ladders and made their way into the throne room. The pretender emperor did not even have time to put his armor back on before he was slain where he stood. Kidan and Godian then spent the following three days and nights killing any of the others who supported the new emperor. Maxon was delighted when he received word that Rome had fallen to Kidan and Godian, but he soon became concerned that the two brothers would not surrender it to him. But Elan sent word to her husband that he only had to ask them. Maxon approached the gates of Rome, and Kidan and Godian came to meet him. They said that they had conquered the city for their sister, and so for Maxon himself. They bowed and surrendered, and Emperor Maxon was Emperor of Rome once more. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Come on, sissy that pod, let's get... Sickening! Are you a fan of the Emmy award-winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, Sissy That Pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right, whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All-Stars, Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play. And that is the tale of the dream of Emperor Maxon on Fireside and I hope you all enjoyed it. Oh yes, I adored adapting the stories of Peredir over the past couple of weeks but it was an immense challenge as I've said throughout them because it's a very different task when you have to split up a story even when it falls very naturally into separate parts because there's always going to be overarching elements and themes that feature throughout that you then have to remember to either include or to take out and just try and streamline and treat each story like it is its own self-contained tale so that if people listen to this out of sequence they should be able to get the whole story and not listen to four parts to get it at all. But that said, when there are just small self-contained stories that fit perfectly into one episode of Fireside, that is naturally makes my job a lot easier and is just very nice and simple. And this was one of these such stories. The next story is one of them as well. Because there are about 11 or 12 stories throughout the Mabinogion, but that is split heavily into into further sub-stories as we found when we were adapting the four branches of the Mabinogion, which fell to three episodes for the first branch, 
two for the second, one for the third, and two for the fourth, I believe it was. And then we had the four tales for Paredier. But now I found a couple of stories. Uh, I want to do a couple in a row to take a break from the Arthurian romances, which are all much longer. Thankfully, Paredier seems to be the very longest of all. So it's it's nice to have had the meatiest challenge uh, done already. But here, it's a strange case, like I said, where it's a, from my point of view, it's an Irish prism of a Welsh prison of Rome. So this is based on a real person. This is based on a real Roman emperor called Maxon Maximus, who was emperor of Rome in the early 5th, 4th, 5th century. However, his true story is quite the reverse of how it happens in this tale because Maxon came to Britain and he was declared emperor of Rome by his own people so it was Maxon who was the usurper who usurped the Roman emperor emperor in Rome itself so in this story you have the exact reverse where Maxon is emperor in Rome and he is a lord over to the island of Britain uh, through his dream to marry this Welsh princess and become king of Britain and it is when he spends such a long time in Britain that he then loses his control in Rome by a faceless emperor who he then has to go over and reclaim his kingdom for. The first thing, as I mentioned at the end of the last episode, and the fascinating aspect of this is this story is very, 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 very similar to the dream of Angus which again, I love discovering because it all feels like it consolidates and justifies my further exploration outside the remits of Irish mythology. I love when it all circles back to it. Because in the dream of Angus, we have Angus, who is very much this royal royal figure who falls asleep while hunting, has this dream of this woman he doesn't even know exists, and then is miserable until he finds her and is sleeping all he, all the time he can and it's his own advisors who tell him to go out the story then differs after that where angus where angus has to go and pick his wife out from a group of many women in the shape of birds we have maxon going sending his advisors all around the world and eventually finding them in britain so of course it could be a, it's a it could be a coincidence but when the dream of Angus is one of the most famous worldwide of the Irish myths, it's quite a strong possibility that these stories may have influenced each other in different versions over time. But it is very interesting that you compare kind of this reverse propaganda where in real life this Emperor Maxon was a usurper king who then went over and consolidated his rule in Rome. We have a far more flattering tale of portraying him as as the rightful ruler of Rome, who then only came over to Britain to live, to be with the love of his life, who then, and then was usurped and went back and fought his own kingdom. And then we get a kind of piece of propaganda from the perspective of the Britons, of of the Welsh for the sake of the Mabinogion, and that is that Maxon is incapable of taking his own city, which is very well documented, you know, Rome was as as well built a city as as there has ever been and considered it was considered a declaration of war so this is where julius caesar was so particularly noteworthy and 
the Rubicon River, which ran outside the city of Rome, it was considered a declaration of war to cross the Rubicon with an army. And so when a when Julius Caesar did that in AD 46, was it? Um, I'll find that out. Um, he, and when he, uh, when he said the famous words, the die is cast, that was when that, where that was where that phrase came from. That was considered the declaration of war. And when Julius Caesar marched his army into Rome, which subsequently brought down the Roman Republic and would subsequently begin the Roman Empire, of which we have Maxon a couple of hundred years later here. But Rome itself as a city was, like, Julius Caesar was already a governor of Rome and he was basically breaking the law but coming in quite legally, whereas we have in this story the Romans know that the emperor is coming back and so they would have locked the gates and a Roman empire was an emperor was no more able to know how to break into Rome because they could only think about how it was defended, about how they would attack it as Romans. And so in this story, we have that where the Romans can't take their own city because they can only think like Romans, whereas the Celts can think like Celts. And bear in mind, you have a very strong traditional rivalry between Romans and Celts because of the 10-year Gallic War, where you had Julius Caesar basically building like walls around Gaulish cities throughout northern France and Germany of what it is now, and trying to starve out these Gauls and these, these early Celts. So you have here in this story then the reverse of that where you have the Celts and the Gauls trying to help an emperor of Rome to get back his own city. And how they do that is incredible. It's not even the detail of just thinking to use ladders to climb over the walls rather than to break down the walls. It's the detail that the Romans ate, or the Romans fought during the day and then rested and healed themselves at night, whereas then the Celts instead got drunk during the day and then took their ladders while drunk and climbed into the city. And then you have kind of a Battle of Troy kind of thing once they're actually inside it's just a case of wiping everyone out so you get a nice little mismatch of a few different sources you got a mixture of history and mythology and folklore all in quite a small short story so you have influences of the dream of Angus, of the history of emperor maxon himself of this kind of roman thought versus celtic thought and then this uh coda of uh, the siege of troy right at the very end not bad for a relatively short tale the one detail i left out which <laughs> just kind of bothered me a little bit which is why i omitted it it was just at the very end but as always i will tell you in these parts is that once emperor maxon is back on the throne he tells kidan and Gaudian, the two brothers who have seized his throne for him that he will give them an army and that they can conquer any lands they so choose. What? So Kidan and Gaudian decide and they go off with their army and they supposedly conquer many, many lands. And then it is Kidan asks Gaudian, one of them asks the other, would they like to keep conquering or would they like to return home? And one of them decides to return home to Britain and the other decides to keep roaming and conquering. 
and they cut out the tongues of all of the women who remain away from Britain so that the language of the Welsh can be maintained. Not the men, just cut out all the tongues of the women. And that is considered a theory about how the language was preserved no matter how many times they spread their wings and flew and invaded and conquered other countries. A gruesome detail, and one I chose to leave out because it is the story of Emperor Maxon, so I decided to leave it with Maxon. Uh, but I thought, in, interesting nonetheless, and as always, I will tell you, dear listeners, every detail I come across. And with that, I will finish up things for another episode. But I hope you enjoyed this tale. Next week, we have a story of Clud and Clafellis, two very, very strong Welsh names. They're a tale of two brothers, uh, one who becomes the king of Britain and the other who becomes the king of France. Another very nice, short, self-contained tale. Before, after that, we'll get back to the Arthurian romances with the story of the Lady and the Well. So as you can see, yes, I'm planning ahead, thinking ahead, having written ahead is is always where I like to be, where I fell behind once I was away. But now it feels good to be getting right back on top of things. Please follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Please do support over on Headstuff Plus. The link is in the description. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.